It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. You're tuned into Christian Questions. Join the conversation now on air or online at ChristianQuestions.com and download our app by searching for Christian Questions Radio. Here's Rick and Jonathan. James Faust once said, Honesty is more than not lying. It is truth-telling, truth-speaking, truth-living, and truth-loving. Good evening, I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. It has its basis in three things. Godly principles, family values, honest dialogue. Always done in a politically free zone. Folks, thanks for joining us this evening. This is a call-in format. We happen to be caller-friendly. So let's get started. Good evening, Jonathan. What's happening tonight? Well, Rick, our question for this evening is, should we ever lie? And our theme text is found in Colossians chapter 3, verse 9. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. So we're talking about lying. Okay, we know it's bad, but is it really always a bad thing? From a parent's perspective, it's one of those things that it's per- is perched at the top of the never-do-this list of moral and ethical behavior. With children, the boundaries are clear and easy to, f- to define, for as we show them the difference between honesty and dishonesty, we reinforce what it means to take the high road, to be trustworthy, and to be an honest and dependable friend. But what about the myriad of circumstances that arise as we become adults and begin to live in a world that is not awash in a bold contrast of right versus wrong, but instead is overwhelmed with the delicate shades of gray, with value judgments, personal rights, and the fine line of being offensive? Are little white lies always wrong? What about only telling part of the truth. Does that constitute a lie as well? Can lying ever be good? There well, it is. This is a tough one, right? <laughs> <laughs> it is, because obviously your mind goes to all kinds of places with a subject like this. You know, okay, is there ever a case where you should lie? And, of course, you know, you're, you're looking at extraordinary and extreme things, and we're going to get into a little bit of that, but we want to talk about the principle of truth and lying as, as we uh, begin the, the subject this morning, this morning, this evening. Um, too many Sunday mornings, Jonathan, for me. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> um, you know, and, and Jonathan, this is interesting. We put this program here after the program about gossip last week, which mm-hmm. was after the program about forgiveness the week before. And Excellent. these three are here in this order for very specific reason to address the actual real life difficult things that we all have to face. So our subject this evening is, should we ever, ever lie? So first we have to go to the scriptures. And you know, to get a true biblical meaning of lying, we need to look at a wide scope of biblical morality. Now, you could, we could do program after program after program on biblical morality. But we're going to touch on, for the first hour, we're going to touch on the Old Testament. The last six of the Ten Commandments are all about how we're supposed to treat each other. So, so Jonathan, let's go through those. Exodus chapter 20, verses 12 to 17. 
you want to do that sound bite before we do that? Oh, yeah. You mean the one I skipped? That one? Yeah, that one. <laughs> you know, that's a good thought. I'm glad you were aware because I'm just ready to go. So uh, this is, um, this is a, a YouTube video called The Truth About Lies, and it really gives you a perspective online. This has got some fascinating studies that this individual was actually conducting. So let's hear the sort of the introduction to these studies. And in the last few years, we've been focusing on dishonesty. We watch corporate scandals everywhere. Enron, Worldcom, the financial crisis of 2008. We saw an increase in cheating in professional sports. Have you ever used steroids? No. I have never used steroids. I have never doped. We witnessed political deception and its huge repercussions. Does the NSA collect any type of data at all on millions or hundreds of millions of Americans? No, sir. It does not. Not wittingly. On one hand, we want to look at the mirror and think that we are good, honest, wonderful people. On the other hand, we want to benefit selfishly from being dishonest. So, so there you have one of those classic contradictions of life. We want to yes. be, be honest, but then, hey, if there's a benefit from being a little bit dishonest, then, you know, what's going to hurt anybody? Why wouldn't I do that? So th there's, there's, a, there's a big, big, big problem here. There's a contradiction that we absolutely have to deal with. So let's go to biblical morality to, to set the stage for this. Uh, Exodus 20, verses 12 to 17. These are the last six of the Ten Commandments. And does this deal with lying, Rick? Well, read it and let's see. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord God gives you. And you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his car or truck, oh, I meant, or ox or his donkey, <laughs> or anything that belongs to your neighbor. All right, so there's not a lot directly about lying there except bearing false witness against your neighbor. So... Right. That is a that's a big lie. Okay, Be, and we'll mm -hmm. get into how that works in a minute. But so one of the commandments actually head on deals with lying. But what we're going to find out is the the sense behind the commandments all deal with lying and telling the truth and being on the right side of the the, the matter. So the the last six of the ten commandments are about how I treat you and how you treat me. That's a good place to start. That's a good place to, um, to, to kind of plant our feet and say, okay, we've got this basis. And I think for most of us, when we look at the Old Testament and we think about the Old Testament, you think, yeah, the Ten Commandments, it's sort of built around that. And so, sure, sure. And, and those are simple commandments. Now, that's, those are simple, simple statements. So now we need to, to, to broaden the approach, broaden the understanding of what's behind those simple statements, and that's really what Leviticus does. Um, Leviticus uh, and Deuteronomy are really a lot of uh, greater explanation of the basic principles of the Ten Commandments, uh, applying them to all different parts of life. So the sweeping approach of the commandments is really based on one word. It is, Rick, and that's respect. Respect those around you. The first four commandments were all about respect for God. 
the last six commandments are all about our respect for our fellow man. So with that in mind, with that theme for morality in dealing with lying, now let's go to Leviticus chapter 19, verses 11 to 16. And Jonathan, we're going we're gonna to stop and start on this a lot. You shall not steal, nor deal falsely, nor lie to one another. You shall not swear falsely by my name, so as to profane the name of God. I am the Lord. All right, so in Leviticus 9, verse 11, it comes out and it talks about not dealing falsely, which implies lying. It talks about, talks about not lying, which implies lying. Uh, it talks about not swearing falsely by God's name, which is lying. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. And you're profaning the name of God. Now let's just, just jump, jump down. The word for lying in that particular verse, what, what does it mean? Rick, it means to cheat, that is, be untrue. To cheat or to be untrue. This is important, to cheat or to be untrue, because as we get into the details of lying, this is the core of the matter. Cheating. What are you lying for? Why are you lying? Now, you can sort of try to jump to a conclusion saying, ah, Rick is setting up so you can tell little white lies and get away with it. That's not what I'm doing. (laughs) <laughs> no. <laughs> but the interesting thing, Jonathan, I want to throw a, a kind of an extra thought out there at, at the very beginning, is that the Bible, Scripture, really doesn't go into a lot of the idea of, 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 of telling a little white lie uh, so you just so you make somebody not feel bad. You know, the the classic example that men talk about when, you know, your wife is saying, okay, how does this dress make me look? <laughs> you know, what are you supposed to do with that? Uh, <laughs> and I don't know, you're laughing and your face turned red. So I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see, we'll see. But okay. so, so the idea here is talking about cheating and being untrue and not just saying something that's not true, but being untrue. There's a... There's, a, there's an intention behind what's spoken of here in Leviticus. So, so let's continue with these verses. You shall not oppress your neighbor, nor rob him. The wages of a hired man are not to remain with you all night until morning. So you don't oppress anybody. You don't, you don't take from them. And again, there's a lying attitude in taking something from your neighbor. You know, there's, there's the law said. There's that, there's that cheat. factor from the definition. Exactly, exactly. So we're seeing intention come through even though these verses aren't talking about lying specifically. Okay, verse 14. You shall not curse a deaf man nor place a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall revere your God. I am the Lord. All right, so you don't do things to those who are handicapped that are cruel. You don't have that, that heartlessness about your neighbor. That's what that verse is about. It's about respect. And it's about respect for others for where they are with their life, with their personal experiences. And so, that's what Jesus did always. Yeah, and, and how often did he go to those who were worst off and lift them up? Exactly. So, you know, that, that idea of respect, Jesus not only... Uh, abided by, but he fulfilled in a very, very dramatic way. That's a good point. Uh, Verses 15 and 16. You shall not do no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor defer to the great. But you are to judge your neighbor fairly. 
You shall not go about as a slanderer among your people, and you are not to act against the life of your neighbor. I am the Lord. And it's interesting, you know, that that phrase, I am the Lord, appears three times in these verses. And by saying that, God is saying, listen to what I'm telling you about how you treat each other. So here, do no injustice in judgment, okay? Injustice in judgment, like you said, according to that definition, is cheating. Don't be, and, and you know, it's interesting, in relation to judgment, the law of Leviticus specifically says, don't be partial to the poor or defer to the great. So if somebody is poor and they are in a situation where they're supposed to have justice, just because they're poor, don't be easy. It's a matter of justice. Same thing. If somebody is rich and has lots of power over you, don't defer to that either. Justice is supposed to be justice. And again, that's being truthful, which is exactly the opposite of lying. Uh, Don't act against... Go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, Rick, this subject, I never would have thought that lying is more than just speaking an untruth. Yeah. Because so far, we're bringing out something very deep here that I just was not expecting. And it's about cheating. That's really what it's about. It's about cheating on a lot of different levels. We often, you're right, we often talk about lies in very benign terms. The little white lie or the big whopper of a lie. And then we always go philosophically to, well, what if somebody's going to die and you can lie and save them? What do you do there? That's a tough one. We'll get to that a little bit later. So you're right. Lying is bigger than just the words. The implication and the motivation is really, really important here as we get uh, get going. So this mutual respect reiterated is a more, it, it's just mutual respect reiterated with a more detailed approach. So lying is to be, uh, is to cheat, to be untrue. Let's go back now to a different soundbite. Uh, this was a Fox News uh, interview with Stephen Gaffney, who's written several books on lying. And he's really good at putting things in perspective. So this was from Fox News from several years ago. Why do people lie? And uh, we, we're going to give you uh, a couple of looks at uh, what Stephen Gaffney has to say about the subject. Why then do Americans lie? Well, because they get afraid. A good example, with all due respect to your mom, often people say, I love honesty. In fact, companies have plaques about it and, you know, in their vision statement. We believe in honesty. And then when people tell the truth, they, uh, leaders get defensive, and sometimes people lose their jobs. So we, we say we love honesty, but the truth is we often model behavior that actually encourages people to be dishonest. The good news is there's so much that we can do to fix the situation. Like what? Well, one of the things is to model the behavior that we want and that demonstrates honesty. A good example is companies telling the truth and being full disclosure. And also when people are having a difficult time that they're upfront about this. And one of the ways that we cause people to be dishonest is when we get defensive. So, you know, he said something really interesting. He talked about lying is motivated by fear. And that's so true. A fear of being caught, a fear of being discovered, a fear of being less than. It really has a lot to do with fear. And, and we need to, to carry that theme through as, as we go through the program uh, this evening. But, but Jonathan... He's talking about respect. So where does God stand on this, res- on, with, uh, on this respect and honesty issue? Let's look at Proverbs 6, verses 16 to 19. And this is the seven things that God hates. Now look, this should get your attention. 
For sure. <laughs> okay. These are not seven things that God is just a little bit upset about. It says these are seven things that God hates. What are they? There are seven things which the Lord hates. Yes, seven which are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife among brothers. So there's seven things listed there. Now, lying is directly involved in two of the seven things. That's right, Rick. A lying tongue and who utters lies, a false witness. Right. Now, so those two words, what do those two words specifically mean? Well, um, the first one is an untruth by implication, a sham. Okay. Lying tongue, a sham. All right. So... God hates somebody who's, who's not speaking truth. That's, that's pretty obvious. And then it says, a false witness who utters lies. What does that word mean? A lie, an untruth, falsehood, deceptive thing. All right. So God hates that as well. So, so we've got God hating these things. Now, it's interesting. Lying is part of two of the seven. But that's the, big. <laughs> but wait. The concept of lying is implicated in the other five as well. So when you say, okay, is it ever okay to lie? Just think of it this way. There are seven things that God hates, and you can easily make an argument that all seven of them have something to do with untruth, with being deceptive, with dishonesty. Dishonest. Yeah, yeah. it does, Rick. It's amazing. So I think this, this question is beginning to answer itself. Um, so we've got through the program, Jonathan, several truth checkpoints. What's our first truth checkpoint? It's always live, speak, and act with godly respect for those around you. And I think that is actually the theme of this particular segment is speak, live, and act with godly respect for everybody who's around you. That's what the law said. That's what the commandments said. That's what it says in Leviticus. And that's what it says in Proverbs. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject is, should we ever lie? Coming up. So, if God hates lying so much, does he ever just overlook it? That's next. That's a good question. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Our subject for today, Should We Ever Lie? We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern, and that means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-FOR-ALL, or you can message us on your app. And we want to hear what you have to say about tonight's topic. Post your comments on our Facebook page and go to our blog. Go to ChristianQuestions.com. Okay, so as we get back into the subject, respect was a resounding theme in the first segment. The Old Testament is full of respect. So in this segment, we're going to get into some very specific things about looking people lying in the Old Testament and what happened to them or what didn't happen to them and why. So it's going to get very uh, interesting as we go through this. But before we go there, let's go back to Stephen Gaffney, author of many books on lying. Uh, why Do People Lie is the uh, Fox News segment that we're, uh, we're listening to here. And it's interesting because here he's going to differentiate between being honest and being brutal to the people around you. So this is, this is a very important distinction. 
Well, sure, but and I'm not talking about uh, I'm talking about honesty. I'm not talking about brutality. <laughs> Name calling is not what, about being honest. In fact, I remember I had a participant in a seminar. She said, I "I'm glad you're here because I believe in honesty, and people don't respect honesty in this company." And I said, "Why don't you give me an example?" And she said, "Well, I tell people when they're a jerk, I tell them they're a jerk." Well, again, that name-calling is not what we're talking about. We're talking about telling the truth and something you brought up earlier. You know, when somebody says, it's not you, it's me, we all know that's a joke. Why don't we just tell the truth or say, look, I don't want to go there, and it's over. Whatever the case is, it's so important to be authentic. So, you know, he, he brought up that point about the, the woman in the company, and when look, when people are jerks, I tell them they're jerks. And he's saying, that's not being honest. And he didn't say it, but, you know, that's being judgmental. That's being cruel. That's being brutal is, is what he called it. That's not a good representation of honesty. He said be authentic. Right, right. And when you're authentic, you don't go around calling people a jerk, okay? No, you don't. You find a nice way to tell them that they weren't telling the truth. And, you know, if you tell somebody in a nice way, people think they're not going to listen to you if you tell them in a nice way. But you know what? They're going to listen more carefully because if you tell them harshly, all they're going to do is put up the shield and start thinking bad things about you because you are thinking bad things about them. Good point. Uh, all right, so Jonathan, we're going to get into some really practical Old Testament examples, one in this segment, one in the next segment. And before we get into those examples, though, I just want to say, say that there is a lot of individuals who seem to find great joy in trying to find what they believe to be contradictions in the Bible, especially when it comes to moral issues. Um, we're going to look at two Old Testament accounts here to see if God actually rewards lying. Now, you say, well, what are you talking about? Well, That's interesting. Yeah, you know, <laughs> and, and I want to mention there is a third very big issue in the Old Testament we're not going to touch on tonight, and that's the, the situation with Jacob. Remember when he impersonates Esau at, that's right. at his mother's instruction? Uh, there's, a, there's a whole string of deceptions that go on there. Yeah, we're, the yeah, reason, he stole the birthright. Right. Well... <laughs> Esau technically sold Maybe it to him. Maybe not. Yeah. Maybe not. Okay. <laughs> and the reason we're not going to touch on that is it's such a complex story, it would take like three quarters of the program. So maybe we'll do that as a program one day, but not, not tonight. But it is in Seeker Rewind, the full edition, uh, in the bonus material. So if you want to take a look at that, make sure you have, you are subscribed to Seeker Rewind to get that full edition. So, Jonathan, we want to talk about Israel once they were in Egypt and the midwives in Israel. And they say something to Pharaoh that you look at, and they're not really telling everything to Pharaoh that they should be. So, remember, Israel goes to Egypt because of Joseph, if you remember, way back. That's right. And yeah. it, it was a good thing when Joseph was there and high in command in, in, in Egypt. He brings his family there. They're given the best land, and they are fruitful, and they multiply, and they become great in number. And the scriptures say, then there was a king that didn't like them anymore and saw the numbers and thought, I've got to put these people under my thumb, otherwise they're going to take over our country. And that's where the harsh slavery came from. So we're going to drop in onto that harsh slavery circumstance. And this next story is about the midwives of Israel, who were all Israelis. They, they were Israelites. Okay. Okay. So they they were all you know part of that 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 clan of people. So we're looking at Exodus chapter one verses eight through twenty two. Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. The Egyptians compelled the sons of Israel to labor rig rigorously, 
and they made their lives bitter with hard labor in mortar and bricks and all kinds of labor in the field and their labors which they rigorously imposed on them. And that's a nice way of saying they put them into hard slavery. And there was mm-hmm. no let up and it was years and years and generations of hard, hard slavery. And, you know, remember one of the things that uh, Stephen Gaffney said was lying is provoked by fear. Fear also provokes dark and evil plans. The Pharaoh that arose that did not like the, the, uh, the, the family of Joseph that grew into Israel, he was afraid of them. And so he created these dark and evil plans to put them in slavery, but their numbers still kept growing. So he got darker and more evil in the next layer of his planning. So we're in Exodus chapter 1 now, verses 15 to 16. Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifra, and the other was named Pua. And she said, When you are helping the Hebrew women to give birth and see them upon the birth stool, if it is a son, then you shall put him to death. But if it's a daughter, then she shall live. So that's a pretty harsh thing to tell a midwife. These are Hebrew women that yes. believe in God and yes. the, the pharaohs telling them to kill the males? To, to kill the, the, the newborn male children wow. right, after, right after they're born. You know? And then you tell the mom, oh, look, the baby was dead. So this is the command of Pharaoh. Now, there's a moral dilemma here. There is. Okay? So, you, you, it's interesting because Pharaoh tells them that. And the scripture, when it goes on to on verse 17, there is no answer, there is no acknowledgement recorded by the midwives back to Pharaoh. Like saying, okay, we got it, sir. Don't worry, you can count on us. There's nothing said about them responding to Pharaoh. So what happens in verse but, 17? But what, would, what would you do? Well, what would you do? And, and that's the question. What would you do if that was you? The sacredness of life. You have been told, you who protect and, 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 and bring the sacredness of life, you are now told to kill it, to squash it, to, to put it to an end. And if you don't, I would imagine certain death for you if you don't. <laughs> Listen to the Pharaoh. Well, because this is a predicament. It is because he's got them under harsh slavery, and you know he doesn't care about their humanity. So, what would you do? Would you murder the innocent newborns because Pharaoh said so? Let's go to verse 17. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them, but let the boys live. All right. So now you have a rebellion in the ranks. You have. And now, they are Hebrews, you're right, they are of Hebrew descent, and they mm-hmm. cannot, in good conscience, take the lives of those newborn children. And it says, why can't they do it? Because they feared God. And, and again, the word fear in Scripture, when it comes to God, oftentimes is misunderstood. It means revere right. God. So they saw God above and beyond what Pharaoh was saying to them. And they looked to the principles that God had given them up to this point. Now remember, this is before the Ten Commandments. Okay, because the Ten Commandments didn't come until they were delivered. That's right. But they still had a reverence for God Almighty to know that God wants to protect and keep life. So there's a clear decision that had to be made. One, One which would stand for righteousness and life and like you were saying, perhaps have consequences of personal punishment and even death. And Jonathan, maybe even death for their families. 
That's right. Yeah. So, so this is serious stuff. So what happens? Now, it's interesting because it says in, in verse 17, you know, they, they let the boys live. Between verse 17 and verse 18, there's got to be a lot of time that goes by because they don't go away for two or three days and the Pharaoh calls them back. No. Okay. <laughs> so time goes by and Pharaoh calls them back because f- from his observations, something is not right. So what happens now? Verses 18 and 19. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this thing and let the boys live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife, before they can get to them. Okay, so now you can say, All right, are they lying? Are they saying, Well, you know, sorry, but you know, we do what you asked us to, but... Every time we get the call that there's a woman who's ready to give birth, by the time we get there, they're holding the kid already. And, you know, I can't very well kill the kid after they're holding the kid because, you know, I'm too late. Or was there more to it than that? See, that's the the thing that we've got to try to understand about the scriptures. So they're confronted, and the interesting thing is they do give an answer, right? They do, but it's very general. It's not a real specific detail. Right, right. They give a general answer, and they don't address individual experiences of this child or that child. So what's really happening here? And and Jonathan, I'm going to, because of the way it it was stated, I'm I'm going to say that they're not lying, but they're just not telling the whole truth. Ah, so this is kind of a half truth? Well, it's... Or different than that. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> that's a hard that's a hard question to answer is it a, it's it's part of the truth okay okay so because well actually let's let's read a um let's read a comment from clark on this because he he makes some really really interesting and and strong points about what they say here and it not being a lie but it, it being designed to be a cover to protect life clark says the midwives boldly state to pharaoh a fact had it not been so, he had a thousand means of ascertaining the truth, and they state it in such a way as to bring conviction to his mind on the subject of his oppressive cruelty on the one hand and the mercy of Jehovah on the other. Now, we're going to figure out the oppressive cruelty versus mercy of Jehovah because we haven't seen that yet come out. But what he's saying is they're stating a fact. They're stating that the Hebrew women were really strong. And when you think about it, the hard labor that they had to live with all the time gave them a, a kind of strength that the Egyptian women didn't have. And so their labors were easier, apparently, according to what was said by the midwives. Now, was every single solitary labor that easy? Probably not. Impossible. <laughs> were there a few where they had to be there? I think so. Oh, yeah. And what they did is they just chose to say, look, the Hebrew women, generally speaking are really strong, and, you know, we have no job with most of them. But they don't go into the details of the others. So they're speaking the truth, but they're not going into all the details of every single childbirth experience that there was amongst the Hebrew women. So they don't lie, but they don't tell all of the truth either. Is that a good thing? Well, let's see what happens in the story. Let's go to now, we're in Exodus chapter 1. Let's go to verses 20 to 22. So God was good to the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very mighty. Because the midwives feared God, he established households for them. 
Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son who is born you are to cast into the Nile, and every daughter you are to keep alive. Several things come out in this verse. First of all, Pharaoh believed them because he changes his plan. He doesn't say, I don't believe you, off with your heads or anything like that. He actually changes his plan. So what they said was based absolutely in truth. But they didn't go into detail because they were protecting life. So, But the other neat thing, God did overlook the partial truth and he blessed the midwives. So sometimes telling part of the truth for the protection of life, in this case, is I don't think is considered a lie at all. And we're going to verify that with some New Testament scriptures later on. Okay? Okay. And, you know, you think about that, and you need to look, look at that through a real practical perspective. When your children are very young, and they need to be disciplined, or they need to be told certain things, a lot of times you, um, you, don't, you, you don't tell them the whole story. You tell them part of the story because you know you can tell them the part that they can handle at that point because you want to, to, to do what's best and be what's best for them. We welcome all comments or questions, even if you d disagree with us. Give us a call. We're live at 866-985-4ALL. That's 866-985-4255. All right. So, so Pharaoh gives up on his original plan, and then he asks his own people to go and kill uh, every newborn son uh, within, amongst the Hebrews. And that's a tragedy. That's an absolute tragedy that happens there. But they don't take life, and that's the, that's the point. So there's a lesson in being truthful with wisdom. And I think that's what the midwives displayed, telling the truth in a very wise fashion. Let's, Jonathan, let's go to another soundbite from the, the Truth About Lies. Uh, remember the guy was saying, you know, we all value honesty, but sometimes we're willing to be dishonest for a little bit of gain. So now he's going to begin to get into uh, some of the results of the many, many, many studies he's done uh, on lying. As long as we cheat just a little bit, we don't have to pay any price in terms of the image and the way we view ourselves. And we call this the fudge factor. So this is the ability to misbehave and think of ourselves as good people. And you can think about all kinds of ways in which in your own life you have a fudge factor. The speed limit. Maybe it says 55, but are you okay in driving 60? What about cheating a little bit on taxes? What about exaggerating their online dating profile? <laughs> Across many studies, we find that everything that changes the fudge factor also changes people's ability to be dishonest. There are dozens of elements that can change the magnitude of the fudge factor. So he's talking about that little fudge factor and, you know, look, I like fudge, but the fudge factor is a different story. <laughs> Yes. You know, and there, there are but things... But we all do it. We all do it. Well, and, and you know, you think about, well, what about the speed limit? And, and you know, that's, yeah. that's a classic example. And, it is. you know, if, if you drive a few miles... I do. I drive a few miles over the speed limit generally. You know, 50... I, I, I try to keep it like at 58 in a 55 zone because I know I won't get caught, okay? <laughs> you know, I know that somebody's <laughs> not going to pull me over for three miles an hour. And that is an acceptable amount of room now, if I'm driving 65 in a 55 and I get pulled over, the big question is, if you're driving too fast and you go around that corner and you see the police officer right ahead of you, do you have the guts to keep going the same speed or do you instinctively slow down? 
I slow down, <laughs> to be quite honest. <laughs> so we got to ask ourselves about that kind of a thing. But, you know, cheating on your taxes, that's a whole different story. That's oh, yeah, a whole that's different story. Not, There's something yeah. entirely different about that kind of thing. So the fudge factor certainly does uh, exist. Um, so, Jonathan, let's just jump down because we're out of time for this segment. Truth checkpoint number two, based on this particular story about the Hebrew midwives. Always honor God above all, knowing his character of justice, mercy, and love. And that's what the Hebrew midwives did. They honored God above all. They honored God first and foremost. God blessed them, and they, they spoke to their enemy with wisdom. And that's an important point. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject, Should We Ever Lie? Coming up, Rahab did lie to protect life. Does the end justify the means? Can lying be a way to do good? That's next. Oh, this is going to get even worse. <laughs> when the world falls into You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Our subject for today, Should We Ever Lie? We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern, and that means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling... 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-FOR-ALL. Or you can message us on your app. Christian Questions, a weekly habit that's good for you. Thanks for tuning us in every Monday evening. Join our conversation any day and any time at ChristianQuestions.com. All right, so Jonathan, as we get back to the subject of lying, let's go to another soundbite. This is from D News. And their topic, their title, if you will, is when it's okay to lie. So they take a different take and say, look, there's times when it really is okay to lie. And this, let's listen to the perspective on that. A white lie is a harmless or trivial falsification, usually told to avoid hurting someone's feelings. The researchers call this a pro-social lie, and they're the good kind. Lies told that are destructive or deceptive, those are anti-social lies, and they do the exact opposite. They weaken the bonds between individuals, and they break down social structure. Lies can make or break us, y'all. Using mathematical models, the researchers revealed what most of us already know. When an individual participates in anti-social lying, they slowly isolate themselves from their social group, while pro-social liars form stronger bonds and become more integrated. This also extends to online social networks as well. How many times have you clicked like without actually liking something online? Maybe you just wanted to support the person, even if you disliked what they had written. Rationalize away, because that's a white lie, sister. And you know what? I flatly disagree with that. That's like on Facebook doesn't mean like. It does mean support. It does mean you know put a, a, a hash mark in their column for crying out loud. Let's not split hairs with things like that. Jonathan, what's next? Well, Rick, I want to introduce my wife Jewel. Uh, she's a big part of Christian Questions and helps Julie out with CQ Rewind. And Jewel, thanks for participating this week on our topic um, online. Thank you for having me here. Well, while I was thinking about this topic last week, it really helped me to examine myself. I think of myself as an honest person who always tells the truth. Hmm. <laughs> but it can be those little white lies that can be spoken without thinking that can be just as wrong as deliberately lying. Think about it. White means purity. The word white and lie don't go together. If you're not sure if something is a white lie, it probably is. 
And since this is supposed to be a woman's perspective, I thought I would try to give examples that women often come across in relation to white lies. And I think true reasons that we tell a white lie are pride and fear. So, Jewel, can you give us an example? Sure. Well, I had hand surgery a little over two weeks ago, and I had a friend drive me to my follow-up doctor's appointment. As we entered the room, the nurse asked me my weight. Why I said five pounds less than my scale showed me that morning, I don't know. I panicked. My friend was in the room, and I didn't do it deliberately, but it was wrong, and it bothered me after. That was pride. Well, don't feel too bad. Guys uh, do a similar thing about the size of the fish they caught. It was this big. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what else? Well, um, I have an example of fear, and Rick sort of touched on this, but we can also put our husbands in the position to tell a white lie when we ask him, does this outfit make me look fat? Jonathan doesn't like it when I ask him that, but he's learned to tactfully be truthful. But how many men lie about that? Are we putting them in a position to lie? Well, along the same line, I love taking a certain friend clothes shopping with me because she always gives me her honest opinion and suggestions. And when she says something looks good, I know I can trust her. Now, another way I can feel we tell a white lie is to say, I'm fine when something is really bothering us. Do we act like we're fine with something when we are not so we don't hurt someone's feelings or because we don't want to talk about it? I think our spouse or friends will trust us more if we say when there is something on our mind. Little white lies are often told to keep peace, as if telling the truth would in some way destroy peace. In Zechariah 8.19, it says, love, truth, and peace. So they do exist together. And tellers of white lies believe they are speaking lies out of love. But the Bible tells us to speak the truth in love. And another idea I had was that we can have automatic misrepresentations of the truth. When someone asks you how you're doing, you reply with the typical, fine, thanks, despite the fact that you've been suffering with pain or an illness. So how should we respond? Do most people really want an answer? Well, maybe we'll touch on that uh, during the program. So, Jewel, how about at work? Well, I deal with many women in the workplace and have experienced someone telling a lie to someone more than once in a way that seems sincere. And it made me question how often I may be lied to by her. And that person lost my trust. And the same thing can happen with us, even if it's a little white lie. And we need to keep our children's trust also. You know, we told our son the truth about Santa Claus from day one. Some criticized us for that, but we felt it was important to always be truthful with him. Yet, I am sort of obliged to tell kids about the tooth fairy since I work in a children's dental office, and it comes up a lot. How do I deal with that? That's a hard one. (laughs) I just have one more thought, and that's, um, you know, I've heard secretaries or receptionists who have been asked to lie and tell a caller that their boss is not in because the boss doesn't want to talk to that person. Well, that's lying. Well, Jewel, if you were put in that position, how would you handle it? Well, you know, that is a tough one, but I I would be honest. And I think saying, you know, could you please call back another time might be an option. But if pushed, I wouldn't lie, and that could possibly mean losing a job. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. 
Jewel, thanks so much. That great, 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 great examples and great practicality about trying to apply this. And really, Jonathan, it comes it comes to applying the truth with wisdom, just like the the uh, the, the midwives did. That that's really that's right. you've got to have that godly perspective of, of the matter. And yeah, you know, you don't have to say everything, but you say things that are are going to be truthful. So, Jewel, thanks. Great, great th- uh, details there. And I've got a story that I'll, I'll tack on maybe in the next hour about the employer thing because I had that exact thing happen to me. Okay. Uh, and it wasn't a pretty <laughs> picture, I'll tell you that. All right, so, so Jonathan, for the for rest of this segment, we're going to look at a story where somebody actually did lie again and again in the Old Testament. And uh, we're going to see what happens. This was Rahab, and she lives in Jericho. Jericho is a city that is enemy to Israel, and Israel is looking to spy out the place. So Joshua sends quietly two spies into Jericho, and Rahab, they come to Rahab. So let's see what happens here. Rahab is not a Hebrew, uh, but let, let's see what happens with their interchange. Joshua chapter 2, we're going to go through verses 1 through 14 and break it up. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two spies as spies secretly, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came into the house of a harlot, whose name was Rahab, and lodged there. It was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men from the sons of Israel have come here tonight to search out the land. And the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the land. Okay, so word gets out that there are spies. Jericho has a fear because they're enemies. Rahab lives on the wall. She's one of the people who would, somebody coming into the city would go to get lodging. Now, look, she was a prostitute. And in those days, it wasn't, it wasn't just that. There was lodging as well, okay? Let's just put it that way. Okay. All right? All right. But, but here's the thing. Rahab, let's understand who she is. She's not of Israel. And therefore, her okay. background is not founded in the principles of God's law. Be- by way of her occupation, we've got to understand her. Her occupation was one that was shrouded in darkness, in gray areas, and in half-truths. I mean, that's really the world that she lived in. So that's where she's coming from. These two men come into the city from Israel. What happens? Verse 4. But the woman... But the woman had taken the two men and hid them and said, Yes, the men came to me, but I do not know where they are from. Now, if you stop there, you can say, Well, you know, maybe she's not telling a lie. Maybe she doesn't know exactly where they're from. Okay, okay I mean, okay. but what about what comes next? And this is where the story becomes very complex and, 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 and it can be very difficult to deal with related to, to lying. It came about when it was time to shut the gate at dark that the men went out. I do not know where the men went. Pursue them quickly, for you will overtake them. But she had brought up to the roof and hid them in the stalks of flax she had laid order roof. So the men pursued them on the road to the Jordan to the fords, and as soon as those who were pursuing had gone out, they shut the gate. Okay, so Rahab continues and says... Look, when it came time to shut the gate because it got dark, they, they left. I don't know where they went, but if you, if you pursue them really fast, you know, you might be able to catch them. It's the classic deception. They went that away. <laughs> so she is purposefully 
misguiding her own people in relation to these two, uh, two spies. This certainly fulfills the definition of a lie. I mean, you can't cut this any other way. But where you got does, it. Okay, so, but here's the question. Where does it stand relating to what God hates? A lying tongue who utters lies as a witness uh, to hurt them? Was she trying to hurt those, those Hebrew individuals? No. Was she trying to... She was trying to protect them. Was she trying to hurt her own people by protecting them? Oh, good question. She was protecting their lives, and you got to wonder, okay, what's the, what's the reasoning behind it? And then, then again, what is God going to do with this? Because this is an out-and-out out lie. You can't cut it any other way. Um, so her intention was obvious. You're right. She's protecting the strangers from capture. Why would she do that? Let's look now. We're in Joshua chapter 2. Let's go to verses 8 through 11 because this, now she's going to go talk to the two spies and we're going to find out what her absolute bottom line motivation is here. Now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land have melted away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, whom you utterly destroyed. When we heard it, our hearts melted, and no courage remained in any man any longer because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. So Rahab actually understands that these Hebrew men are representative of a God that is real, that is powerful, and that is working with them. And that's something. She has, that is. She has nothing to do with that God, God Almighty. They had their idols that they worshipped and, and, and so forth. But Rahab understands their fear has come over the the inhabitants of Jericho because word has come to them how God has delivered Israel through several different battles and so now Jericho is next they know if God is fighting them the God of these people they don't stand a chance so there's fear and so rather than try and turn them in she realizes God is bigger than all of this so what does she do she lies to protect them so now, does God say to Rahab, way to go, girl. Glad you lied to protect my boys. I mean, is... <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> but, 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 but did she do a good thing? We'll find out. <laughs> well, she, she accomplished a good thing in letting those individuals go. They were God's people. But how she did it has to come into question. So Rahab knew of God and his deliverance and believed in God based on her very limited observations and experience. But remember, Rahab is still Rahab. She's still the person coming from her own background. So now let's see what happens next. She tells them of her faith in God and what she really truly believes. And now she um, is, is going to, to strike a bargain with the slaves. Uh, with the, not the slaves, the spies, I'm sorry. Uh, so we're in verses 12 to 14 now. Now therefore, please swear to me by the Lord since I have dealt kindly with you, that you also will deal kindly with my father's household and give me a pledge of truth and spare my father and my mother and my brothers and my sisters with all who belong to them and deliver them our lives from death. So the men said to her, Our life for yours. 
if you do not tell this business of ours, and it shall come about when the Lord gives us the land, that we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. So her belief was deep enough to put her own life on the line. And she asks to be spared as a result of that. So let's, let's pause there. Let's go back to the, uh, the, uh, um, the studies, the truth about lies, uh, the studies on dishonesty, because here is where the study is going to begin to unfold, and then we're going to wrap up the story of Rahab. You can just have a seat anywhere with a packet and a pen in front of it. We gave people 20 simple math problems. Find the two numbers that add up to 10. These are problems that everybody could solve if they had enough time, but we don't give people enough time. We are going to give you five minutes to solve as many as possible. At the end of the five minutes, please stop. Put your pencil down and count how many questions you got correctly. And now that you know how many questions you got correctly, take the sheet of paper, go to the front of the room and shred it. People do that, they come to the front, they say they solve six problems, pay them six dollars, they go home. The shredder shred the size of the page, but the body of the page remains intact. Oops. <laughs> and what do we find? On average, people solve four problems and report to be solving six. So the study basically is saying that uh, you know, people are not doing what they're saying. They're lying because the evidence is being shredded. They figured, ah, nobody will know. Ah, but they did know. And it's a, it's a test. It's a study. So, so we're going to come back to that study in the second hour. But about Rahab, God blesses Rahab. Hebrews 11, 30 to 31. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. So the interesting thing is God doesn't bless her for lying. He blesses her for recognizing and welcoming the spies. That's what the blessing is for. The lying was of her own volition. And Jonathan, I believe that she did what she knew to do in her life, in her experience. That brings us to truth checkpoint number three. And this is really important because she was at a disadvantage in relation to, to the Jews there. Always do the best that you know how to follow God, and in time, more will be revealed. So Rahab did the best that she knew how. She didn't know any better because that was the culture she came from. God was able to deal with that because she lived up to whatever responsibility she had at to, to that time. Now, once she became a convert, I absolutely believe she was held to a higher standard. But the important thing is, if we do the best with what we know as being godly, God can work with that and then reveal more to us. So, did God bless Rahab lying? No. Did he bless her for her heart? Yes. Did he teach her more afterwards? Absolutely. So there's a great lesson in dealing with being truthful. In the second hour, we're going to go more deeply into the New Testament and what it has to say about truth and lies for Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions. We'll be back in just two minutes. But till then, should we ever lie? Think about it. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. You're tuned into Christian Questions. Join the conversation now on air or online at ChristianQuestions.com. And download our app by searching for Christian Questions Radio. Here's Rick and Jonathan. 
Somebody once said, a single lie discovered is enough to create contagious doubt over every truth expressed. That's kind of like what Jewel was saying in the first hour. Folks, welcome back to Christian Questions. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. And Jonathan, we're talking about what? Should we ever lie? And our theme text is found in Colossians chapter 3, verse 9. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. All right, and, and you know, I just want to mention one little thing. I might get in trouble for mentioning it, but I just find it interesting that we're talking about this subject, lying, and tonight's the first presidential debate. Um, oh, oh, that's don't all, go there. That's, I'm not going to go there. That's just all I'm going to say. I just, I find it interesting. This was, you know, there was, there was no intention with that, but uh, there it is. So in the first hour, Jonathan, we, we talked about, we really focused on the Old Testament. We really focused on what the Old Testament had to say and the principles laid out. And um, there were three basic words that were, are, are somewhat related to lying. And, and just quickly, what are the definitions of those words very quickly? It's to cheat, that is, be untrue, an untruth by implication, a sham, a lie, untruth, falsehood, deceptive thing. So there is a sense of intention involved in that. And, you know, we, we, we've touched on little white lies here and there um, uh, throughout, and we're going to continue to go back there. But also, as we went through the idea of respect that was laid out in the Old Testament and honoring God and so forth, we have several truth checkpoints that we touched on in the first hour, and we want to build on those. So truth pe- checkpoint one is what? Always live, speak, and act with godly respect for those around you. That was the basis of the Old Testament, respect. Not just respect, but godly respect for those around you. What's truth checkpoint number two? Always honor God above all, knowing his character of justice, mercy, and love. All right. God must come first. And that's one way to stay truthful, putting God always first. Truth checkpoint number three. Always... Do the best that you know how to follow God, and in time, more will be revealed. And that was the experience of Rahab. Uh, she, it was. She came from a, a pretty dark background. She did lie. God didn't bless the lie. God blessed her heart, and I believe she learned more afterwards to be able to abide by a much higher standard. So uh, remember, we, we had one, one source of sound bites. That was saying, hey, you know, lying's not so bad sometimes. Those little white lies are socially not only acceptable, but they're socially necessary. Um, so they talked about, yeah, white lies are good. They're okay. Let's listen to another soundbite from D News on this because it just brings up kind of an interesting factor about those little white lies that they just told us in the first hour were so good. The Journal of Consumer Research found that even though they're beneficial to the whole, white lies actually feel like lies to our brain. We know we're being dishonest, so we try to fix it or make up for our dishonesty to escape cognitive dissonance. Cognitive dissonance is when your brain thinks one thing and you act differently. Like a bad server at a restaurant asks how your meal was, and usually we would lie and say, you know, it's so good. We save the waiter's feelings and we keep things on an even keel. According to research into cognitive dissonance, unless the service was really bad, we'll actually then go on to tip more because we want to make up for the lie that we told them. It's silly, but it happens on a subconscious level. It's part of our evolution trying to keep our social networks balanced. Yeah, there's a lot of things about that, Jonathan, that we look at and say, wait a minute. You know, the idea... Uh, 
If it feels like a lie and it looks like a lie, why are you trying to justify it? <laughs> really. Exactly. So, and, 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 you know, I, I told you I, I would mention a, a quick story about my own experience about dealing with the employer. You know, I was a general manager of a cabinet and countertop shop, and my boss, unfortunately, was lied a lot about a lot of things. And there was one in, instance where I got a phone call from one of our customers who was waiting for their goods, and we were behind. We were way behind, and the, and the item hadn't been made yet. And my boss saw me across the office on the phone and he asked me who it was you know and I whispered it's so and so from such and such a company and he looked me he's standing right in front of my desk he looked me in the eye and he said tell him it got damaged when we were putting it on the truck now Jonathan I knew that I knew that was wrong oh that's trouble yeah and I'm (laughs) and he's standing there and he has his hands on his hips and he's glaring at me oh no and I thought you know what I can't do this and I looked at him in the eye, and I said to the customer, listen, we're way behind on our production. It's not even finished yet. I am really sorry about that. Let me see what I can do to help you. And my boss got so mad at me, he stormed out of the room. And boy, <laughs> oh, there no. was heck to pay later on. But, <laughs> but what happened is, when he was yelling at me later on, I looked at him and said, don't ever do that to me again, because I'm not going to lie for you. I just won't do it. And I figured if he fires me, so be it. I will not right. get stuck in and but I tell you, it I wasn't like standing there like I'm some bold strong super guy. I was scared to death <laughs> <laughs> in trying to do the right thing. But that that was one of those experiences that sort of stands out in your mind. Sure. All right. Now, for now for the New Testament view of lying. Let's go to the New Testament. We spent our first hour in the Old Testament. Um, these, this first verse really is a motivational factor to determine that helps to determine our standing before God when we're in the gray areas of life. So, First Peter chapter two, verses twenty-one to twenty-three. It's all about Jesus. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. So it talks about Jesus, and it says, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. What does deceit mean? It means craft, deceit, or guile. All right. So he wasn't being crafty. He was being honest. So what it's saying is Jesus, in the face of immense pressure, was purely honest. There was no trickery in him. Exactly. Nothing of the sort. And that's what lying is. It's trickery. So our highest and most reliable example is Jesus, like you just read to us. And he had no deceit, no trickery in his words, which means there was no deceit in his heart. And see, that's the key. He was solely about God's truth, God's plan, and God's love. If you Sounds like the key for us. <laughs> if you don't have deceit in your heart, you won't have deceit in your words. See, that's an incredibly important uh, combination to remember as we look at this subject uh, of lying. And that brings us to truth checkpoint number four. What is it? Always firmly uphold the highest scriptural principles in your communication. All right. Highest principles. 
And again, I'm reminded of the several things Jewel talked about uh, in the first hour and how there were so many examples and you get to choose what principle am I going to draw from the, the, the bookshelf of, of principles to use to back up my words? Is it the principle of protecting myself? Is it the principle of fear? Or is it the highest scriptural principle that I know? It's a choice. It really is a choice. Folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255. Toll free, 866-985-4ALL. We are live Monday evenings from 8 to 10 Eastern, and that means we're on right now. Out from the dark ages, errors from the past, into the light of today, join us 24-7 at ChristianQuestions.com. Okay, let's go back to the truth about lies and the study. And remember, Jonathan, they gave these people all these problems to solve. They gave them a very short period of time, and they, the, the, the answer pages were put in a shredder, but they weren't completely shred, so they could check to see if what they said they did was what they actually did, and most people lied. They just, they just did. So how many big, big liars and how many small liars were there in the myriad of tests they did? Let's listen. We've ran these experiments on 40,000 people. And so far we found about 20 big cheaters. Those are people who cheated all the way, said they solved 20 problems, and they stole $400 from us. And we also found about 20-some thousand little cheaters, and they stole about $50,000 from us. And I think this is not a bad reflection of reality. Yes, there are some big cheaters out there, but they are very rare. And because of that, their overall economic impact is relatively low. On the other hand, we have a ton of little cheaters. And because there are so many of us, the economic impact of small cheating is actually incredibly, incredibly high. That's a, that's a powerful statement the impact of the little cheating because when when we get involved in that Jonathan and maybe you want to cheat on your taxes a little bit or whatever it is and you say well you know what can this hurt well yeah but when you and a million other people do it what can it hurt a lot it sure does so we are contributing to the demise of our society when we engage in little lies that's a that's pretty sick. That's sad. It is. That's tragic, and that is noteworthy. We need to understand uh, the importance of knowing that, and now what we should do about it. So first, and, and we should live in integrity like Jesus did. And, and that's exactly what I was just going to go back to. Jesus had no deceit in his heart, and therefore had no deceit in his mouth. What does my heart look like? Well, let's go to 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Okay, pause right but, there, Jonathan, just one second. I'm, I'm sorry okay. to interrupt you, but it says, okay, if we say that we have fellowship with him, and but we walk in darkness, we are lying. What does that word lie mean right there? It means to utter an untruth or attempt to deceive by falsehood. So, you know, this again gives you a feeling of a bad intention that's attached to this. It's a feeling of, you know, there, there's something rotten here, not something... Rick, isn't this like hypocrisy? Hypocrisy is lying. That's what it is. It, it, that's, you're living not up to the standard that you said you would. Right. That's what this is saying. And so it's saying that if you are being hypocritical, you are lying. Now, 
let's continue. Verse 7 of 1 John uh, um, 1, verses 5 to 10. Let's go to verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. So there is a choice here. For Christians, there's an absolute dividing line between light and darkness, and we have to choose a side. A fundamental part of lying is ego. And Jonathan, that's where hypocrisy has its founding, in ego. The greater the ego, the greater the propensity to lie. Remember uh, the, the other guy, Steve, what's his name, earlier said that lying comes from fear? Yes. Well, ego breeds fear. Fear breeds lying. Lying breeds godlessness. And godlessness breeds sorrow. Not a good ending. Even when we start with the white lies, because what's to say that your white lie can be a little bit grayer but still be white next time? Mm. Because now you've got different shades of white. You know, and then and then you get into all of this stuff and what you end up with is disaster. So, again, let's get back to first John chapter one, verses verses five to ten. It talks about being hypocritical or choosing to walk actually in light. Now, verses eight and nine. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Now that's going another step, isn't it? Making God a it liar? Is. I mean, now wait a minute. What are you doing here? Now for that, that word, it says we make God a liar. What does that mean? One who breaks faith, a false and faithless man. So if we are saying that we haven't sinned, we are making God a liar because God has said all men have sinned and come short of his glory. So mm-hmm. we've got to decide what side of this issue are we going to be on. For us to publicly walk in a lie of being in the light, we're lying about being in the light, while still being in darkness makes God a liar. And that's an ego issue. Hey, I have the antidote for ego, Rick. Well, let's hear it because we need it desperately right here. Humility. And that's so Ad- true. Admitting we make mistakes and we fall far short. Right. And, and, you know, when you look at humility and you look at the example of Jesus, he didn't make mistakes. But you look at how humble he was, and he didn't yes. have mistakes to have to make up for. So if he could be that humble without having made mistakes, how much more humble should we be in our everyday experience? Folks, if you have a thought, it's 866-985-4255. Jonathan, let's go to James chapter 3, verses 13 to 18. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and evil uh, of every kind. Okay, but so, the wi- so, so okay. Let, let, let's hang on there for a second. So it talks about your good behavior versus having bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart. Don't be arrogant to lie against the truth. So, you know, you talked about hypocrisy, and now the idea of arrogance comes into the, into the picture. And yes, it, it does. And, and so ego 
is is having that an overcharged ego is is arrogance and then we take on a hypocritical perspective and that's what this verse is saying don't go there don't be part of this don't let this take hold of you the wisdom demonic it's right. earthly yeah it's natural but um the wisdom from above let's let's go to the to the rest of this verse but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. And the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Okay, so now it's talking about wisdom from above. And it's saying, look, this is what you've got to look at. This is what you've got to focus on. So, truth checkpoint number five in relation to keeping lying away from us is what? Always be deeply honest with yourselves about what you stand to gain or lose by revealing, hiding, or falsifying certain details of life. All right. So this is the mirror, the mirror checkpoint where you've got to be looking in the mirror and say to yourself, what is it that I'm doing that could be bringing me down the wrong path? This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject is, should we ever lie? Coming up. Is purposefully withholding some information a form of lying? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Our subject for today, should we ever lie? We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern, and that means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-FOR-ALL, or you can message us on your app. And sign up for CQ Rewind. Hit the newsletter sign-up tab and register for our Insider CQ Rewind outline and our Insider Weekly Material. Okay, so a lot to do uh, with uh, Christian questions and, and getting acquainted with us and getting involved in what we talk about. And, and speaking of that, Jonathan, just a quick comment from the, uh, from the app. Uh, from Knoxville, Tennessee, uh, it's sort of a general comment, but it's very encouraging. Love, love your program. I've learned so much listening to you both. Thanks for all that you do. Also, we had a call from uh, Arlene in Connecticut saying that she loves the program. So lots of, uh, lots of positiveness uh, going on there. And I trust that they're telling the truth. <laughs> they better be especially tonight <laughs> so uh, let, let's go back to a uh, another soundbite um, this one from uh, where's this one from the, the truth about lies the study and remember in the study now he's revealing that most people he said 20 some thousand people lied a little bit because they figured they could get away with it and make a couple of extra bucks so, you know, you, you look at that and you say, wow, that's not, that's not that, that, that good a thing. So now they add a twist to their study. Let's listen to what they do next. So imagine the same experiment I described to you before, but with one main difference. We hired an acting student, and 30 seconds into the experiment, he raised his hand. Yeah, I'm, I got all of them. Can I, what do I do? And they say, I solved everything. What do I do next? Usher, come up here. I'm done. Now, this experiment, you are still on question number one. There is no question in your mind that that person is cheating. And the experimenter said, 
You finished everything, you're free to go. There you go. Thanks very and much. And you see that person taking all the amount of money and going home. What would happen to your own morality? Well, lots more people cheat. But there could be two explanations here. One explanation is we just prove to people that in this experiment there's no downside for cheating. The second possibility is that it's not about the fact that they wouldn't catch you, it's about the fact that it's actually socially okay. So either way, it's not a good situation. Somebody blatantly cheats and somehow that makes it easier for me to cheat, me to follow in their footsteps because I'm not going to cheat as much as they did. I'm just going to cheat a few dollars worth. Not the whole, the, the whole kit and caboodle here, you know? So it, it's interesting how lying and cheating are social behaviors that are very contagious. There's a kind of peer pressure that yeah. comes with it. Yeah. And I did it. Why don't you follow me? Right. Why don't you do what I did? Right. And there's that acceptability that, okay, somebody yeah. else did it and it must be okay or not as bad as I thought originally or I can just kind of you know, look the other way this one time. So, but is that light? Is that light? Is that <laughs> following godly principle? And the answer is no. It is not. Absolutely not. So, you know, you, you, you close the, um, the last segment with a question. Is purposefully withholding some information a form of lying? And we touched on that with a little bit of an Old Testament example. But let's go to a bigger picture. Let's go to a really much bigger picture in dealing with withholding information. God himself did not tell his chosen ones everything. Mark chapter 13, 31 to 33. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But of that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. Take heed, keep on the alert, for you do not know when the appointed time will come. So Jesus is speaking the prophecy of his own return, and he says, and by the way, I don't even know when that's going to happen. God hasn't told even me. So God withheld information, right? He did indeed. He allowed Jesus to know that there was going to be a return, but he withheld information about when. Why would God do that? Well, let's go further with that, because God is not the only one that uh, withheld information. You know, you've heard the saying, like father, like son. Uh-oh. <laughs> okay. Jesus did the same thing. John sixteen twelve. I have many more things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. So Jesus was saying, look, I've got a lot to tell you, but I'm not telling you now. Now, why wouldn't he tell them now? What, what good comes from withholding that information? Well, maybe they weren't ready. And how about, how about a parent over a child? Yeah. I mean, if they're too immature to, to handle some information, you're not going to throw that information at them, right? Well, you shouldn't because it's damaging to them. You don't lie to them but you tell them as much as they are able to bear and process and as much as is appropriate for their best benefit. So withholding those particular pieces of information from Jesus from us, essentially, and God even from Jesus, served a higher and nobler purpose. And in the end, it was better for everyone. And, and Because of that wisdom, they know. Right, right. And you know, you think about it, 
when God gives prophecies, and we've talked about this many, many times on the program, God you know, gives us all these prophecies in the scriptures, but they're veiled. They're mysterious. You don't really even know what they mean, oftentimes until they're already fulfilled, and you go, oh, look at that. Why would he do that? Why does he make it hard to get? Isn't that a form of lying by sort of withholding? Hey, I'm going to tell you something, but huh, you're not going to be able to figure it out. He wants us also to work for it to prove our desire to know his will in all things. And I think that's another really, really important point is we have to commit ourselves to wanting to know God's will. And God's will needs to be unveiled in stages because, you know, the plan of God has been going on for 6,000 years. And for somebody 4,000 years ago to know that, well, you know, there's going to be no break in the action for the next 4,000 years. Good luck to you. That's <laughs> not going to help them. You give them what they can know and then what they can work with at that time. And, and that's why God's will works in stages. And he worked with individuals. Then he worked with the nation of Israel and the law. Then he, he worked um, with, uh, with, 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 with Christianity. And then he works with the whole world later. So he changes the venue as he goes, but he's not going to tell us ahead of time when, because it's always longer than we'd like it to be, and it would be discouraging. So God actually does us a favor in that. Jonathan, there's a, there's a great personal story here that was uh, relayed uh, to us from one of our Christian Questions family, uh, Joy in Montana. Many years ago, I was a caretaker for an older couple. I did not realize it at first, but the older man had a problem with drinking. One night he stumbled into the house, demanding his keys to the car. I knew he was in no condition to drive. I prayed for wisdom. When he was in the other room looking for the keys, I hid them at the base of a plant in the corner of the room. He came back in the room and asked me, Where are my keys? I didn't see them anywhere, I replied, as I generally looked around the room. He looked around the house for a while and then gave up on the idea. I was very grateful. So there's a classic example of not lying, but not giving the full, the, all, all of the pieces of the information. She protected him yes. and others from a terrible tragedy. Right. And she didn't have to lie to do it. Where are my keys? I don't see them anywhere. Now, she's looking and you can't see them. So, <laughs> so and again, it was to protect life. It was to protect, and it wasn't a lie. It just was a, a misdirection. It was giving them a sense of, of, of futility so they wouldn't go and do the harmful act that, that he was ready to do. He was ready to drive while drunk. So, you know, we can find ways to avoid the lies and be truthful and still hold up the, uh, the, the things that need to be held up and, and be protective when we need to be protective. So, so a lot of good points in the segment. Go ahead, Jonathan. Well, checkpoint number six uh, is, is wonderful. Always when privileged to be in a position of influence, apply the practice of withholding information only with the utmost care. Be 100% sure that ego is irrelevant, your motivation is pure, and that the highest and most godly outcome for the other party is paramount. So the idea is, look, if you're going to be in a position where you're not going to tell the whole story, you've got to ask yourself, why am I not telling the whole story? God didn't always tell the whole story. Jesus didn't always tell the whole story. Why? Because they had our utmost good in, 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 in mind. We have to adopt the exact same principles and really nothing less. 
So withholding information is for the purpose to benefit that other individual when you are in a position of some kind of authority. We'd love to talk to you right now. We're live. Call us at 866-985-FOR-ALL. That's 866-985-4255. Or leave us a comment at ChristianQuestions.com. Okay, let's go back to uh, the, the study, the Dishonesty, Truth About Lies study by Yale uh, Melamed. Uh, and remember in the last soundbite, he said they, they brought a, a, uh, an actor into the, into the picture who said, hey, I finished all the problems after 20 seconds. And of course, that's impossible. But it opened the door for more cheating. Uh, so now let's see what happens when, when cheating becomes part of your everyday life. This is really fascinating. We kind of anecdotally know that once you lie, you're more likely to lie again. And probably the second lie will be bigger than the first. What we find in the brain is that at the beginning, if you lie a little bit, there's a huge response in regions involved in emotion, such as the amygdala and the insula. The tenth time you lie, even if you lie the same amount, the response is not that high. So while lying goes up over time, the response in your brain goes down. We think that the reason that this happens is because of a very basic principle of the brain, which is the brain adapts. All right, so it's really simple. Keep lying and it's not going to bother you so much. Not good, but it's a fact. And you can apply that principle to sinning and yeah. you sear the brain that you're, you're conditioning yourself that you're not doing anything wrong. So, so what you're saying is you're taking your conscience and you're beating it down to a lower level. Exactly. And when you habitually lie, what you're doing is you're taking what once could have been a finely tuned conscience and you're beating it so you can't even recognize its, its checkpoints anymore. And when your conscience can't recognize truth from lies, you're in big trouble. And not, not only are you in big trouble, but you are going to hurt the people around you. Because, you know, it, it, so it, there's, there's a saying that says, you know, if you're going to be a liar, you have to have a really great memory. Uh, because, and, and people get themselves in all kinds of trouble. And when you deceive others, others are going to, and again, go back to the comments from Jewel in the first hour. You know, she said that one coworker she saw lying, you know, to someone else. And she said, I, I started to not trust her. Why? Because I knew that she would lie a lot so now I'm thinking everything she says to me uh, why should I trust it and then you've got so you you create a massive mess so let's go to another one of those those difficult questions is not answering someone a form of lying Jonathan's no. shaking his head <laughs> he wasn't answering me verbally anyway Matthew 26 59 to 64 now the chief priests and the whole council kept trying to obtain false testimony against Jesus so that they might put him to death. Two came forward and said, This man stated, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. The high priest stood up and said to him, Do you not answer? Was it, what is it that these men are testifying against you? But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God that you tell us whether you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You have said it yourself. Nevertheless, I tell you, 
Hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming in the clouds of heaven. So they ask him about the statement, I am able to destroy this temple and, and rebuild it in three days. And the high priest is demanding Jesus answer him. And Jesus doesn't... And he kept silent. He, he kept silent. He didn't speak a word. And in that silence, he gets the guy mad at him. And then Jesus, instead of answering the question, gives the high priest a prophetic glimpse of the future. Which gets and he didn't like that. No, no, he didn't. <laughs> and that led him to accuse him of blasphemy and so forth. So he gave the high yes. priest what he was looking for, but he did not cooperate in answering that particular question. So, you know, are we going to say Jesus lied in that situation? No, he simply didn't. Not he, at all. He chose not to answer for a higher good. And see, that's the point, Jonathan. If we are doing things just to protect ourselves or to hide something else, that's, that's not what this is about. It's are we focused on something that's higher? Another example of Jesus keeping silent. John chapter 19, verses 8 through 11. Therefore, when Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. And he entered into the praetorium and again said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, Do you not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you, and I have the authority to crucify you? Jesus answered, You would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. For this reason, he who delivered me to you has the greater sin. So Pilate is trying to get information on Jesus, and Jesus doesn't answer. He just is silent. And you know, that's a scriptural fulfillment, as he was silent before his his uh, accusers. He's silent, and Pilate gets mad and starts to threaten him. Don't you know? I've got power over you. And that's the only time Jesus speaks up. Because by Pilate saying that, he was insulting God Almighty. So Jesus speaks up, not to defend himself, but to tell Pilate, no, no, no. You don't have power except what was granted to you. So behave yourself. You know, be <laughs> respectful is really what he's saying. Be respectful. And that put great fear into Pilate. So here it really again, did. Here again, there's no answer, but in its place, a witness to the power of God. So no, when you don't answer, it's not, it's, it's, you don't look at that as lying because you're trying to do something higher. So, well, Rick, if, if you're in the proper heart attitude doesn't that, when you're silent. And doesn't that always <laughs> come back to us is that it's yes. got to be for the right reasons. It can't be an ego thing. So what's truth checkpoint number seven now? Always when choosing silence, be sure that it is the voice of godly behavior and obedience that is present in that silence, and not a voice of spite, arrogance, or revenge. So silence is actually speaking. Make sure that the voice of your silence is a godly voice of doing the will of God, not your own. Just like you said, make sure you're humble in that moment in your silence, representative of godly thinking. This is Christian Questions. I'm Jonathan here with Rick. Our subject is, Should We Ever Lie? Coming up. So with all of our checkpoints in place, what will life look like? That's next. You're listening to Christian Questions. See videos, hear past shows, and talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome back. Our subject for today, should we ever lie? 
We're live Monday evening from 8 to 10 Eastern, and that means we're on right now. Join our conversation by calling 866-985-4255. That's 866-985-FOR-ALL, or you can message us on your app. Christian Questions, a voice of reason in a world that's lost its way. Keep in touch at ChristianQuestions.com. And boy, has this world lost its way. And, you know, listening to the sound bites about the studying, the, the study they did online is really revealing about how easy it is to fall into that. Well, Jonathan, this next soundbite puts a whole different twist on that because it's like, okay, society has gone out of control. Everybody lies or most everybody lies. And like, what can you do about it? Just listen to this if you want to know what you can do about it. We went to UCLA and we asked about 500 undergrads to try and recall the Ten Commandments. We asked people to write down as many of the Ten Commandments as they could remember. And then we put them in a situation where they could cheat with the matrix task. How many of them do you think recalled all Ten Commandments? Zero, that's right. <laughs> By the way, they invented lots of interesting ones. <laughs> what happened after people tried to recall the Ten Commandments? It, nobody cheated. It wasn't as if the people who remembered more commandments, the people who are presumably more religious, cheated less, and the people who remembered almost none of them cheated more. Nobody cheated. It didn't matter what religion the participants had. You know what the Ten Commandments are about. They are about a moral code, they are about proper behavior, and just knowing that and being reminded of that decreases dishonesty. Isn't that amazing? That is amazing. So it really came down to something higher. If they were reminded of something higher, the propensity to cheat went right out the window because something bigger than yourself was right in front of you. That's powerful. And There's hope for the world, and that, <laughs> the kingdom's looking good. And look, Jonathan... if that's it, people are going to be having a, a wonderful time. And, and, you know, if in our daily experience... Again, I go back to Jules' comments from the first hour. If in all those little experiences where the temptation rises, if you have Scripture and higher principles in, in the front of your mind, you're not going to cheat or lie like you would have if you didn't think about it. So what a blessing. It is. It's an incredible blessing. Now, And Trish, you know, she... Her call screener, uh, she dropped, dropped me a note here. She said, you know, we, we keep talking about, you know, you know, withholding information for a higher good. And she's saying, well, look, who's higher good? Because people can think, well, you know, I've got the higher good. And uh, the point of that is it's a godly, scripture-based principle, higher good. Not the, an ego-based? Right. Not just because <laughs> I think I'm so smart-based, higher good. Right. Okay? It's scripturally-based <laughs> principles. That's how you can tell you're operating with the higher good. So let's go now to the we've gone through seven you know truth checkpoints. Let's go to the 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 context of our theme scripture. Let's go to Colossians chapter three, verses five through seventeen, because this scripture lays out simple steps for us to put lying in its place, which is nowhere near us. So let's go start with verses Colossians three verses five and six. Therefore, consider the members of the earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, with amounts, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. 
All right, so really, what, what are those verses telling us, Jonathan? Be dead to your past actions. Okay, all of these things we are dead to can be summed up in one word, idolatry. That's what the verse said. It is idolatry that brought sin. It is idolatry that feeds our fears and egos. And it's idolatry that makes lying comfortable because we put a God in our head that is not the God. And when we don't have the principles of the God in our head, but a God, and that God could be me and my own ego, we're, we're not going to go well. It's, it's, it's not going to go well for us. So be dead to your past actions. You've got to look at the way you were and the way you are and say, I am a changed person by the grace of God through Jesus. Let's go to verses 7 through 10 of Colossians chapter 3. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them, but now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Okay, so it was interesting because in the first part of the verses, uh, it was talking about putting aside your past actions. Now we're talking about putting aside your past feelings. Okay, and what does that mean? Um, means uh, keep those past emotions at arm's length by devouring an understanding of Jesus, who he is, and what he did, and where his footsteps lead. So, you know, you can't, you can't get rid of your feelings, but you can keep them at arm's length. You can put them far enough away from you where they no longer affect you, where they no longer have an, an overriding uh, feeling about your, um, your life. So... That becomes an important action because it's not enough to put aside what we used to do, but now we have to, and it lists all these things. Now put aside anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech, you know, and that's all emotion-driven. You've got to take those things and not allow them to be a part of your existence anymore. Uh, let's go to verse, uh, verse 11. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Jew or Greek, circumcised and uncircumcised, Okay, so uh, Jonathan, I, I, um, I had to get the caller on the line there, so I lost the, the last part of that scripture. I apologize for that. Um, let's go to the phones. It looks like we've got Julius from Connecticut on the line. Good evening, Julius. Welcome to Christian Questions. Good evening, Rick. Good evening, Jonathan. Thanks for uh, a challenging topic. Okay. A couple of things. Uh, it takes a lifetime to build a reputation, and it can be ruined in a matter of seconds. Yep. <laughs> I like uh, a quotation that uh, I'm sure you heard before. I don't know if you've said it tonight. I've been in and out uh, busy here. Oh, quote, oh, what a tangled web we weave when we first practice to deceive. And here's a cute story that uh, Paul Harvey told us years ago. Uh, some uh, tourists were visiting a uh, small village in Mexico. Mm-hmm. And uh, the uh, visitors asked the local priest. They they were amazed. They they were flabbergasted because <laughs> the the uh, the mayor of the small village they elected a mule. <laughs> so the, uh, the the visitors asked the priest. They asked the priest. They said, "How come?" 
you know, what's the idea? You're like the, uh, the mule for your mayor? Uh, replied the priest, yes. He says, we feel he's the only trustworthy creature in town. God bless. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. <laughs> Good night. Thank you, Julius. Appreciate the thoughts. <laughs> So, so Jonathan, uh, you know, a point, point well taken. We get ourselves stuck in all of this. And, and when we do, it really is a nasty kind of a thing um, when we get in, into lying. And you know, then you've got to look, look to a mule to, tell, <laughs> to be the only trustworthy <laughs> creature. I mean, you know, what the heck is up with that? You know what? I, I kind of cut you off uh, when you were reading verse 11. So please read that again. I apologize for that. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, for Christ is all and in all. All right, so when we, 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 we in the Colossians 3, verses 5 to 17, we, we have to be dead to our past actions. We have to put aside our past feelings. What's next? Full, fully embrace equality in Christ. And that's what that's saying. Look, there's no distinction. We are all equal in Christ. Bask in the beauty of being equally under Christ, just as any other true Christian. See, by embracing this truth, we let go of fear and protectiveness and the temptation to lie because we realize we're just like they are. They're just like me. You're like me and I'm like you. We're all in the same boat. We're all sinners and without Christ, we're a bunch of nothing. So that's a great way to put yourself in a position to say, lying is a thing of my past. I want to go there no more. So let's go to our final soundbite from this dishonesty test. And, you know, the last one, Jonathan, about the Ten Commandments was really, really profound. That was. You put something higher in front of the students and they suddenly aren't going to lie anymore. Well, they did it a different way in this last soundbite. And this is, this is just as fascinating as uh, putting the Ten Commandments into their minds. In fact, even when we take self-declared atheists and ask them to swear in the Bible, they stop cheating. <laughs> it is not about heaven and hell and being caught. It's about reminding ourselves about our own moral fiber. We found this result to be very promising, but we wanted to test it in a non-religious context. So we went to MIT, and we did a similar experiment with honor codes. So we got students at MIT to sign the honor code. I understand that this short study falls under the MIT honor code. They did it, shredded a piece of paper. What happened? No cheating whatsoever. And no cheating whatsoever, despite the fact that MIT doesn't have an honor code. <laughs> <laughs> What a riot. <laughs> so they put that in place with the idea to give them something higher to think about. So even in the realm of the secular world, you don't need something religious. You need something moral. You need a standard, a standard that's higher than you are. And if that standard is right in front of you, your likelihood of cheating just goes way down and in these cases just completely went away. Well, Rick, that puts responsibility on our shoulders to let our light shine, to live in, with integrity so that it can be contagious and rub off on others. And you know, that, that's a great, great point. And remember my story at the beginning of this hour with my boss? Yes. Over several years of he and I locking horns on so many things, he began to tell the truth more and more and more. And he came to me 
one day and he said, you know, Rick, after all this time, you were right all along about that, you know, and, and you know, wow. but it was, it was a Jonathan, it was a knock him down, drag him out fight with him because he, uh, look, you worked with me. Uh, I did for, for him and you knew he was a tough guy to, oh, <laughs> to handle. <he> was. <laughs> <laughs> so, but wow, that he, it was worth you being honest and true that whole time you knew him. And then it changed his life. It did. It, it really contributed. To, he had to make the decisions, but he had an example that was different. And that's yes. what these sound bites are saying. And so there is hope. In a world that's full of lying and cheating, there is hope. And the hope is you. Like you said, let your light shine. Show godly principles in the, in the middle of the world and see what can happen. I mean, that to me, that's incredibly exciting. So, so you know, we, we've, we're looking at the Colossians scripture, Colossians 3, 5 to 17, and we have to be dead to our past actions. We have to put aside our past feelings. We have to fully embrace equality in Christ. Now let's go to Colossians 3, verses 12 and 13 and see what's next. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. All right. So when you translate all of that, Jonathan, what, what is it telling us? Well, Rick, it means fully engage the qualities of Christ. All right. There is no better way to destroy ungodly thoughts and words than with the crushing weight of goodness, godliness, and brotherly love. If we took goodness, godliness, and brotherly love and brought them everywhere and made them obvious, the lying would drain away. It would be afraid of us. It would just be <laughs> afraid of us. Verse 14. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. All right, so what's that telling us? Adorn yourselves with the benevolent love of God. This love sweeps away any leftover fragments of an old broken life that was mired in sin. And how powerful is that? After you fully engage in the, quality of Christ, in the qualities of Christ, then it says now you put on this, 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 this benevolent love. It was, first it was brotherly love, and now it's benevolent love, this highest form of love, and it sweeps away all the little crumbs of misery. And then verse 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. So Rick, this is really saying, allow Christ's peace Full and unfettered access to your heart. Okay, this peace will will given time and authority. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. This peace given time and authority will overwhelm and eliminate fear and restlessness. You got to give it time, and you have to give it permission to change your life. Verse 16. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. All right, and translate that for us. Permit the words of Jesus permanent residence in your heart and mind. All right, so you've got to give the words of Jesus the ability to permanently reside in your heart and mind. By so doing, we're able to be continually reminded of the power of Christ in our lives, and that keeps our focus strong. And then finally, verse 17 of Colossians chapter 3. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of 
our Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. So, so Rick, be thankfully transformed. All right. That's the key. And so if we want to get out of the habit of the little white lies or the big lies or a combination of both or a habit of lying or whatever it is, what we need to do is look at our lives and say, let me apply, first of all, those seven checkpoints of truth that we went through through the entire program. But then the, the, all of these points of Colossians 3, verses 5 through 17, and Jonathan, we've got about uh, 10, 15 seconds here, so I'm not going to ask you to read them all back, but realize that all the blessings that you receive are a gift and that you can do all things through Christ who actually does strengthen you. So, folks, as we wrap this up, we're looking at lying, the question, should we ever lie? And the answer is no. No, you shouldn't. But what if you do? Well, there's forgiveness. But, you know, with the forgiveness, what we must do is be responsible to attempt to transform ourselves. Now, how do you do that? We don't have the power from within. We have to rely on the power of God from without. We have to put the principles of godliness right in front of our eyes so that we can be reminded that truthfulness and godliness and respect and integrity all make up a wonderful life in Christ. Folks, we hope you've enjoyed being with us this evening. And actually, I think, Jonathan, I ended this program about a minute early. So uh, you know what? Well, I'm just going to keep on talking because we can do that. <laughs> <laughs> For Jonathan and Rick and Christian Questions. Actually, I'm kidding. Uh, we'll be back again next week with another subject. But till then, tell the truth. Till next week, think about it. <laughs>